What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Live Free Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. Today's guest is Mr. Taylor McKimmons. He and I um, had never met before, and it's always a little nerve-wracking doing podcasts with people who I'd never met before or have, haven't had any interaction with, but uh, he and I had a really nice conversation. He called in from New York. We talked um, Winter Haven, Comic-Con, Sunday Comics, Respect for Art Objects, Art Schooling, Unexpected Transitions, Arts History... Washington's Face, Print, Snakes in Cages, New York Honesty, Criticism, Understanding, Italy, and Lines. Make sure you go check out MikeMaxwellArt.com. You can click on the podcast link over there. It'll take you to the podcast page and uh, give you all the information about each artist uh, who's been on the show and a little bit of what we talked about. You can subscribe uh, via iTunes over there. Uh, If you are interested in the show and you like it and you have time, go over to iTunes and subscribe and rate and review the show. Actually, I had somebody who was uh, being douchey on Twitter recently who told me that they loved one of the interviews that I did and then went over and um, put a one-star review and said disappointed, which seems to make no sense. But uh, go counterbalance that fucking douchebag and uh, leave a review if you like the show, it helps. Um, somehow it makes the ratings better, I guess, too. Or, you know, like the the number review on iTunes. Because that's important for some reason. You can also click on the blog via MikeMaxWire.com. And I, I do a blog post for each artist that's on the show, each guest as well. And that has all the links to their websites and some, some images of their work and, and uh, pertinent information and what have you. And again, you could you could subscribe and you can also just get the MP3 if you're not down with iTunes. You can listen to the show right there on the website. So make sure you do all that. Go follow the podcast on Twitter at Live Free Podcast and like it on the Facebooks. Also, Live Free Podcast. Go follow Taylor on Instagram. His name is spelled T-A-Y-L-O-R-M-C-K-I-M-E-N-S. So go follow, go find him on Instagram and Facebook, and that's also his, uh, his website. Uh, this episode is sponsored by the 858 Fight Shop. Go check them out, uh, facebook.com slash 858fightshop. Uh, for all your, your Muay Thai, Jiu-Jitsu grappling, whatever martial arts it is that you do, the you need to get your gear, you need to get that uh, defense soap. I'd like defense soap to sponsor the podcast. If you're a company and you want to sponsor the podcast, uh, we're always taking on new endeavors, so you could uh, email me, info at mikemaxwellart.com if you're, uh, if you're interested in sponsoring the show. But uh, go check out A58, they're over at uh, 7128 Miramar Road in San Diego, their number is 858-530-8181. And they're open seven days a week. And we've been getting some really awesome Sunday open mat jujitsu sessions. Where last week we had nine guys. We rolled for two hours straight. Uh, There's four different schools represented. So uh, a bunch of different styles and looks and uh, different games to, to compete against. It was a lot of fun. So... Go check out A58. Tell them the free podcast sent you, and you'll get, uh, I think, 10% off of uh, your purchases. So make sure you go do that. Tell them Mike Maxwell sent you, 
and uh, they'll either take care of you or maybe choke you. I'm just kidding. It's actually, it's one of the, I, I say this each time, it's one of those shops that you could go into and not feel intimidated, like like you're walking into a uh, uh, lion's den or something. Not the lion's den, but a lion's den. You know, Johnny and all the, the guys that work there are super helpful and will uh, will lace you up with exactly what you need for whatever it is that you're looking for. And uh, their customer service is top notch. So check them out. And I think all that business is done. You could donate to the podcast as well if you want to just be a donor. Go, uh, like I said, click on the podcast link. You'll see the PayPal option. Donate a fiver, a tenner, or whatever. And uh, it'll be greatly appreciated, and it'll go back into making the show awesome. So, ladies and gentlemen, with all that said, without further ado, Mr. Taylor McKimmons. Hey, Taylor, it's Mike. Hey, how's it going? What's up, brother? How are you? Doing good. Good to talk to you. Good, good. Um, uh, I want to thank you, first of all, first of all um, for taking the time to shoot the shit with me. I appreciate it. Oh, man, it's not a problem. Thank you. Um, it's, it's funny. Like, most of the, I would say probably a majority of the guests that I've had on the show, I've had some sort of, like, uh, real-life interaction with, you know? Not uh, uh-huh. just, like, a digital um, relationship <laughs> or whatever. And so I had to, I had, I decided to, I had to go look around, you know, like I do research before each show, but like since you and I have never met before, um, and I've known uh, you work for a really long time, I was kind of surprised that we at some point had ran into one another, but it was funny. I, I, I learned that you grew up in Winter Haven, yeah. which for people that don't know, that's, um, like if you drew a line from San Diego directly east to Arizona, it's like right on the border right there, right? Yeah, it's like right where the Colorado River crosses into Mexico. And, you it's know, like the, uh, the muckiest, nastiest part of the Colorado River right before we give it over to Mexico. <laughs> That's what I was swimming at. Well, you know, after, <laughs> after figuring that out, your work made a lot more sense to me. Like there was a, like, uh, a different relationship with the with the imagery in your work. Like, it's something totally different stood out once I once I learned that. Because as somebody who, who grew up in San Diego, my family is super into, like, off-road racing and ATVs and okay. going to the river. Yeah. And so that's, like, the, the spot for people, you know, from Los Angeles or San Diego to go out and have, like, uh, you know, for, for camping situations and, and extracurricular activities. Did, and is... Yeah leave all your uh your worries about laws and the likes back home yeah right and acting like a decent human being you can just let it all fly over there sure did um <laughs> what how long what what period of your life were you did you spend out there well um we moved out there i was in middle school um i don't know young i, I would say i've spent my formative years there yeah when I was really young, we lived uh, we lived near LA for a while, and before that, Colorado. So we did some moving around, yeah. I guess, the West. <laughs> well, that I, I feel like you really emphasize that that area. You know, it's for people who don't know. It's it's really strange, like the way 
like San Diego is really vast. You know, it's a it's a big ass city. Yeah. So it's like it stretches. That was like the biggest city I could imagine when I was young and, and would go to San Diego. Did you like guys the biggest thing I could do with a picture? Did you guys come up this way on vacations and do that sort of thing? Well, yeah, I mean, I would like you know once once uh, my friends started getting driver's licenses, we would drive to San Diego and like ride the elevators and skyscrapers and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> just like uh, when you don't when you don't have access to that stuff when you're younger, it all just seems really magical and crazy. So, um, uh, I uh, yeah, when I was really young, we came out for the San Diego Comic Convention, which was like a, a big deal. Yeah, which it's um, it's getting crazier and crazier. Have you been to it in recently? I was there a few years ago, yeah, and it was it was pretty uh, it was pretty hard to handle. It was, it's it's like out, it's pretty out of control. It's too stage. much. And my and my tastes have changed quite a bit uh, in comics. You know, from the time when I was younger. For me back then, it was like the best place that exists on the planet. Um, but now, uh, yeah, I, I think my 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 taste in comics has just changed so much since I've been exposed to stuff that I like so much better now. Right. Yeah. And you know it, it's such the, now the Comic Con it's so it's so heavily movie based. Uh, just uh, you know people don't realize that actually Comic Con it's it, it accounts for something like seventy five percent of downtown San Diego's economy for the entire year. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the biggest thing they got, and you know it's they've threatened to uh, I, well. They've, they've insinuated that they're going to move it up to Long Beach, but I don't know if they're going to be able to make that happen or not. It seems so, it just seems so rooted in San Diego. That would be crazy if that happened. Yeah, there's been, they started doing like some little side shoot, like trying to like get back to the roots sort of conventions. Uh, and I feel like uh, um, Stan Lee put something together. I don't know if it caught, if it got wings and started moving and took off or not, but. It, it, it's such a like a shit fest there it's so strange yeah I have a pretty weird relationship with comics because you know for me I think I mainly got into it because it was all I had access to uh, as a kid you know there was no galleries there used to be a museum in Yuma but it, it burned down a long time ago and they never rebuilt it but I remember uh, I remember in it there was just you know there was a lot of like still lives and paintings that really bored me like they kind of thought that that's what art looked like yeah. which was just really boring like people continuing uh impressionism <laughs> on into the future forever and ever yeah that's what i figured what was going on so did you uh, ever comics was like that was the only thing that i was ever exposed to that seemed kind of like i don't know slightly challenging or you know the kind of there are certain people who didn't like it like would ruffle feathers and like it seemed a little bit it was, like, I thought art was really boring, like, something that boring people did. But I liked it, and I just didn't want to do boring art. Did, uh... So, comics was the only thing there for me that seemed kind of interesting. Did, in what was that? Was it, was it the actual imagery? Was it sort of the methods that it was being presented in? Was it, like, the, the context? Do you, did you delineate any yeah. of those things? I don't know. It's, it's crazy, because I think, um... I mean, I think when I was really young, I was drawing Garfield and things like that a lot. And like, although I, like, I wanted to do uh, cartoons for the for the newspaper, you know, like a daily. Yeah. And uh, and I, I don't think I'm that funny, but those guys aren't that funny either. Like, I would look at those comics and be like, you know, I, I don't think I would ever laugh. Like maybe Gary Larson, 
Like, I rarely laughed at, at cartoons in the newspaper. Yeah. So I just figured that they were just kind of supposed to be sort of funny, and I figured I could do that. But mainly, I just wanted to draw. I just kind of liked the... I don't know that... I don't know if... It's weird because I don't think it's something that I picked out. I think it's just that was how you draw. Yeah, it's, you know? it's weird you say that. I, I went through that same sort of idea. Like, that just because that was what was available to me was... Mm-hmm. Like, I thought for sure I would end up being, like, a Sunday Comics illustrator of some sort. Just because it it's seemed... Weird. It seemed like... like I a, listened to your podcast. Sorry to interrupt you. No, no, it's okay. It's like, weird. When I listen to your podcast, uh, uh, like, other episodes that I've listened to, I, this seems to be a recurring thing that you talk about and a lot of the people that you interview talk about. And I think it's maybe California or... I don't know if it's America or what it is, but... I feel like a lot of people are coming up like that now. I think it really changes the way art looks now. Yeah, yeah, after the the ten year, fifteen year period of the of the kids that grew up, you know, exposed to that thing. I, I get this idea that like a lot of art, you know, maybe like particularly in like the the late sixties and the seventies and stuff was was all about trying to define what can be art, and so you know, like art went into all of these really crazy areas that really turned off most people everywhere. <laughs> you know, right? I mean. Uh, you know, even pop art was difficult for people to look at. Like, even Andy Warhol was doing paintings of Marilyn Monroe, but she was, like, brown and with, like, green lips or something. They, they still were challenging to people. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, artists kind of turned into this joke that, that regular people make, you know what I mean? Like, that I that I heard a million times growing up that I was going to be an artist. Like, oh, you know, he's going to be an artist. Oh, yeah. Whatever. Like, there was, there, there was kind of zero respect for it, although everybody has respect for it technical ability it seems like no matter where you go yeah like for instance there was just like a fire on the roof of my building and the firemen came into my apartment and uh they they instantly bashed the hole in my ceiling and like started destroying my kitchen and i had on my wall i had like pretty much my entire art collection on the wall and they started pointing this heat gun at it like they were going to try to decide where to hit next and like they were just pointing it right at all of the art that I've collected and traded with artists over oh, the years. Lord. And so at a certain point, they're holding an axe and like about to bash through the wall. And I started like grabbing art off the wall. And the guy, and, 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 the, and the one guy was going to tell me to just get out of the way. And they were just going to punch through the art. And, the, you know, and the other guy was like, let him get his drawings. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I think everybody, no matter where they come from, has a kind of respect for art, you know, but it's weird, like, the, like the, the history of art has been sort of turning people off, you know, for a long time. Do you think part but of that think, is, like, the, mm-hmm. like the, that transition of the 70s to 80s, like, that high level of decadence? Do you think that, that has something to do with, with the, like, general public's turnoff? I think, well, it's weird because, okay, if, like, art is basically communication, right? Like, you know, you're communicating visually. But I, I think art, it turned, like, the, the the lineage of art turned into more about the science of art. It, like, it, was a, it was more linguistics than it was about communicating anything that people could relate with, unless you were an insider that studied it and studied the ins and outs of the language of art. It, wasn't, it was more about the language of art and less about saying something. And I feel like most people connect to kind of art that, like, touches them in a place that everybody can can relate to, you know, like, you know, love or death or, you know, beauty or whatever, the things that we 
Yeah. But I kind of I think, like, I really I feel lucky to be coming up in this time where all of that has been hashed out, and we've already proven that art can be whatever you want. Like, everything can be art. So it's kind of like a moot point now. I'm kind of happy that that was all hashed out already now. And so now, I think we're in this interesting time where everybody can just make, they can just say stuff with the pre-existing languages that already exist. And so everybody's just saying stuff now, and that's what I'm doing, and I feel really lucky to do it. Like, I have, I'm using this language of big comics and illustration to make paintings, but but they're not about painting totally. I mean, they kind of are in a way, but they're about, they're about my childhood, they're about me, they're about other people, they're about real things, I think. You know, it's kind of a luxurious time to be in where we can just work that way now. Yeah. I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, I, I think you're right. Uh, you know, it, it opens up a little bit of freedom to not have to prove what's art, but it still it still seems like there is still that battle of deciding what is what. Like what what I think we do, we're just so used to classifying things, like putting things in higher yeah. tiers and different levels. Uh-huh. It's sort of like their natural like brain processing system. I think it just some people get douchey with it. Uh, you know, at a certain point, you got to pick your battles. Like, sure. uh, you know, if, if somebody's kind of behind the times, then, you know, you, you could spend your time trying to convince them that what you're doing is art, but you could just do it and not give a shit what they think. So what was your, <laughs> what was your start like? Um, were you making things at a young age? Did it, I know, um, we just had Kevin Christie on the show and we, uh, we had some talks about art center, uh, what uh, what led you to to go to Pasadena and go to the to the college? Well, um, well, okay. I guess I guess I should start way earlier than that. I guess I've been making art, like or making art. I guess I've been drawing ever since I was younger, and uh, you know, as long as I can remember. Anyway, I've always I've always been the artist. Everyone has always referred to me as that, you know. And so I just was like, oh, I'm the artist. And I liked it. And I, I think I had a predilection towards it or whatever. But I was just always doing that. So in school, I was always drawing and drawing comics and whatever. But uh, the school that I the school that I went to was called uh, San Pasqual, which was a really small school. I think there was like a 24 or I forget exactly the number of students in my graduating class. But it was really small. And the, uh, the counselor's office in my high school was really ill-equipped to prepare me for the world, I think. <laughs> Those, so, were those the ones that you had to draw the turtle or the pirate? Correct. Like, they definitely, those weren't those schools, but they did advertise at midnight for the people who weren't doing anything with their lives to try to make them go to school so their parents would not think they were fuck-ups. <laughs> Basically, that was like the whole, that was like a, a good percentage of the student body. But, and, it was, and, and the goal was like in that school was to get you a job in the arts. And, you know, and at that time, that meant just like a page up guy or like you know, just any anything where you weren't uh, working at McDonald's. You know, and it was somewhat artistic, like you were doing. Yeah. But, 
So I went to that school, and it really, um, I think that school ended up being, like, part of some weird scam, which would make sense, because they really did, like, where they're, like, you know, working with Sally Mae to try to, like, get, you know, more poor kids, like, letting them in so they would have to get student loans, which would make sense, because it was the only, they were the only schools that targeted the, the my school, which was in the, the, the county with the highest unemployment rate of all of California. Right. If not more, you know, or the whole South, I don't know. It was, it was very high. I don't know exactly what the statistics are, but it's definitely one of the poorest areas in the United States. So the fact that three of the Art Institutes International had like 10 catalogs to that school seems a little like in retrospect. Yeah, like um, they pro- there was probably like military yeah. recruiter guys there too. Yeah, well, they know everybody that's coming from those neighborhoods are going to get on to the Right. But um, uh, and 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 my uh, my entry fee was surprisingly easy. Like it was just a phone call. They didn't even look at my art. They just called me and asked <laughs> me if I wanted to like make art for a living, and I was like, yeah. And they're like, well, you're accepted. And then I then I was telling my uh, my. You know, my teachers in school that I got accepted. They're like, wow, you got accepted? That's great. And I was like, that was so easy. I just talked to someone on the phone. So anyway, I went to that school, and that school was, was not very good at all. Like, I didn't, like, there was no contemporary art class or anything like that. But the best thing that happened for me there was one of my teachers, uh, a guy by the name of Dale Nordell, who went to the art center, uh, told me I should, basically, I was going to the wrong school, and I needed to go to a different school. He told me about Art Center. And so the best thing that happened for me at the Art Institute of Seattle, which is where I went, was that I was able to make a portfolio that got me into Art Center. And so it's good I don't to, think I would have been able to make that out of high school. It's good to have those mistakes, too, or what seemingly seem like mistakes at a time where it's almost like... I was like, way more prepared for uh, Art Center, having done two years there, just catching up with the rest of the world a little bit, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think. What was that? Was uh, it a, a strange transition? Going from uh, Art Institute of Seattle to Art Center? Yeah. Did I, did you have expectations of how different it was going to be? Every, it was weird. That part of my life, everything was an unexpected transition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, going to Seattle from from Haven, California, was was mind blowing. I mean, I thought I was, you know, felt like Blade Runner to me. Like I felt like I was so far in the future. And then I remember meeting someone from New York that came to Seattle and was telling me how like it was like a really small town. And I was crazy. It was insane. Go to the skyscrapers. Like uh, for me, I think I measured the size of a town by their skyscrapers. Yeah. But then after that, it was to Los Angeles, and then that was another big mind blowing experience. Living in Los Angeles, like like proper, you know, driving around every day. So. Yeah, it was all pretty mind blowing. And then the artists, and then at Art Center, I had classes on contemporary art, which that, you know, I, and and I was in the illustration department, but that was the first time I was exposed to the idea that art continued, that it didn't end. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. like I, I had an art history book, but it was like you know, it was a lot of paintings that looked kind of like each other, of uh, like Jesus and people laying around. Uh, <laughs> Uh, golden halos around their head. They all looked kind of the same. And then it was crazy because by the end of the book, it sort of started to get a little bit more crazy. Like, it looked like uh, it was going haywire, you know? Like, 
like a light bulb that was about to burst, you know, and it starts blinking or something. Yeah. It's... And then, uh, and like, yeah, like if you were to take the art, like a, a jazz and art history book and use it like a flip book, it actually looks like the history of art is just exploding at the end. Like, uh, so that's what I figured could happen. I thought that art was over. And so it wasn't until I had a, a contemporary art history class that I was made aware of the fact that it still continues and that it was really interesting. So and did, that made me realize I wanted to do that. Did it change the way you went about things? Like with that idea of a sort of longer lasting life, you know, within the work, like that the, it didn't have a shelf life. Did you, did you think about the process differently or did you just, you were you just more amped to, to keep making things? Yeah. I don't, I don't think I ever considered the shelf life of art because books feel so permanent. They feel more permanent than paintings in a way to me. Books do? You know, because they get out there, they're like print, print to me still is the ultimate. And when I, I mean, when I make paintings, to make the paintings so they look better in real life than they look in print. That's like my kind of goal with them. But I love the print. I want the print to look really great and I want it to exist forever. That's the one that I sit with and I love. But is, uh, um, I noticed that there's some... Uh some printmaking sort of techniques in the in your paintings, like the application, like the process it looks like? Is it, Was printmaking a, an early endeavor? Was that the sort of the main goal oh, to begin it, with? I think it definitely was, but not because I studied printmaking, but because I just studied imagery as a kid. Yeah. You know, like, one of my, probably one of my biggest influences would be the picture of George Washington on a dollar bill. I spent so much time staring up at that as a kid and I think it really affected the way I draw sometimes like I'll draw figures and the lines will be kind of moving around their form mm-hmm. and it was really about that drawing and the way the lines moved around his form the form of, of uh, his face Did so I really kind of I think that it's weird because I kind of got into that idea and then weird bad printing from Mexico and uh just all different kinds of printing. That was the only visuals I was really exposed to. Whether even even when I used to draw comic books as a kid, I used to try to draw comic books, and I would start off with the cover, and I wouldn't draw like a cover that was to be reproduced. I would try to make it look like it already had been reproduced. Like I would draw dog-eared corners. I would draw a U.S. like a, a, a UPC symbol or whatever. Uh, yeah. I would draw like I would draw little flecks and, and scuffs on it and wrinkles in it to try to make it look and I would make it shiny so that it looked like it was a glossy printed cover if I could. Right. You know, maybe about sticking uh, tape to it, like packing clear packing tape across it to make it look like it had been printed and like it was a gloss. For me it was just about the print was the most important thing so I was always obsessed with print and I think print still dominates almost everything that I do interesting did um and did were you working with different printmaking processes once you got to art center or even before that mm, not so much and I still feel pretty naive about a lot of it I still want to do a lot of it you know I just did a, a t-shirt design with uh, a friend's company in, in Tokyo uh, what's the name of it I think it's called um Tacoma Fuji, and it's and it's basically like he, he does these T-shirts that are 
that are basically, it's supposed to be a record company, but all the bands are fake. So all these artists are invited artists that make t-shirts for fake bands. Right. So right. I just did, I just did a, a design for them, but I thought it would be really simple, but really struggled with figuring out how to do it correctly to make it print. I haven't really been inspired by printing, but I don't exactly understand the process of a lot of, a lot of it yet. I'm, I'm working on a book right now of my, of my own art. Uh, like a sort of artist book where it's going to be there's going to be weird collaging and things going on in it um, I'm looking at it right now and it's weird I have the most archaic mock-up <laughs> it's, it's so idiotic what I'm trying to do here I'm sure anyone who knows anything about making a book would just would be laughing at this what's in front of me right now isn't that I think that it, sometimes it seems like that's the way things get done and we have this perception that everybody else does things to the T like exactly how they're supposed to work and we all yeah. really just struggle to make anything happen you know yeah yeah no it's it's like it's, i feel like this book should take me three days to do and it's i've been working on it for months now it's driving me insane is it uh wow. is it pretty extensive in terms of like uh like over the the course of your career like a sort of retrospective type of thing uh, i think i'm trying to put together a little book of I've done a lot of I've done a lot of different types of things. Like that's all. I think a lot of it has evolved. The book, uh, just to get that out of the way, the book is pretty much about paintings, uh, but also sort of photos and things. But uh, I've done a, I've done a lot of stuff that's kind of evolved out of the decision that I made to not do illustration anymore. Yeah. Because once I made that decision, I uh, I mean not that I'm like against doing illustrations. I still do occasionally illustrations. Like, I'm going to be working on one um, that's due Friday. Today is Tuesday, Tuesday, I think. So, um, so I still do illustrations, but I just realized when I decided that that wasn't going to be my focus anymore that I wanted to figure out what does that change for me with my art because I feel like the problem with a lot of illustrators to try to show in galleries is that they're trying to show things that are done in sort of like comfortable size, like scanner size, yeah, or uh, you know, just like drawing table size. But you know, not that size has a lot to do with it, but it's just the mindset. You kind of have to try to break out of the mindset of of that world, I think. Uh, and then, and so it it never really clicks a lot of times because it's sort of limited by something where a lot of times work for. Uh, fine art as much as I hate to say that I don't just still don't know a better way to skip <laughs> yeah uh, just the definition yeah just a defining word yeah let's call it super ultra fine art uh, the, the uh, superior art no. yeah it's uh, terrible <laughs> no I, I don't know a better way to say uh, that but basically when when you do that it's supposed to be about removing all kinds of limitations or uh, conventions to, to the point where you're doing something that's breaking weird ground that nobody even realized was there or breaking mm-hmm. weird rules that nobody realized that were rules or well is, is yeah, there just, do you feel like there's a transition there in terms of like at a point in, in uh, an artist's career where it's it's interesting that you say that uh you know more illustrator based people are working at a scannable size which i'd never even thought about that before 
And you see that in the fine art too. And even like, you know, like a snake in a cage can only grow as big as its surroundings or whatever animal. Yeah, that's a great way to, that's a great analogy, I think. There's something about like that next step in fine art, the super ultra superior fine art, that there is something important about having the capabilities to make some large scale pieces. And it almost, it, like I said, how we sort of start to uh, separate different levels. There seems to be a level where, okay, now it's the, the time where you start making really large art. Is, is that, do you feel like that there's a, a, a pattern there or? There's, there's a weird thing with like making large art where a lot of people are encouraged to make it big, you know, go big. I'm feeling like that it's this weird formulaic way of becoming an artist is making it big. But I, I think it's just as great to make small art. But I think when you make small art, I think it's very much benefited by at least having made a really large piece once. Sure. And then come back to make a small piece. And it might change it all. It might change everything. You might understand that working big was more comfortable. You, know, right. just, you just haven't even experienced it, so you don't even know. Or sometimes, sometimes when you make a really big painting, you just get so like you just get so high off the feeling, as, like as you're painting. Because for me, I kind of believe in letting my brushstrokes enlarge with the scale of the work. So, because uh, like, I don't like seeing really big paintings where someone still used the same small brush that they used to make their small drawing board size painting. Sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because then it, it gets all like you know noodly. <laughs> but yeah. when, so I so I like I screw together paint brushes end to end until I make a big enough brush so that it it fits the scale. So I can still if I want to do a big brush stroke with two two strokes across and cover a painting that's seven feet ten feet tall, I can do it. The thing is, it's really it's like really inconvenient because you have to plan it you have to the paint might cost you 70 bucks for that one brush stroke (laughs) mixing it it's like the whole thing the preparation is such a pain in the ass but when you do it it's like i've never smoked crack before but (laughs) i don't know it's gotta be close it's such a good feeling yeah for sure it's it's strange too how sometimes you know, a, a small piece could take a, 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 you know, an insurmountable amount of time and, and work and effort when it seems like a large piece may be that, you know, marathon type piece that you have to work on. But sometimes they just flow. They just come out. And there's, there's a it's almost like you, you uh, just magnify the skills somehow. It changes, it changes the experience when you're painting it. And when you look at something, when you look at any painting, whatever the person who was painting it was feeling the second they were painting it, it's fully registered in the painting. And you can feel it when you look at it. So when you look at a big painting that somebody was having the time of their life painting, as the viewer, you feel it too. And so not only was it more powerful and amazing for the artist when they were painting it, but it's it's just as... You know, it's like that much more powerful for the viewer. When people go and they see a big painting, there's a reason why they're blown away by the big ones. It's not because it's big and novelty size. It's because it's got this crazy power that's there in it that you feel. And it's like people standing in front of the Guernica. I mean, there's a power to the scale of those things that, that is undeniable. And I think once you, as an artist, once you try it, 
you can either dis- discover that you absolutely hate it, but <laughs> yeah. I don't think you can make that decision until you try it. Because yeah. some people, some people are really great at working small, but I think that you got to work big once to understand that you're great at working small. Yeah, and it's, if a, you really are. it's a different experience for the the creator and the viewer. So yeah. Like it's almost they become it's it seems like sometimes bigger pieces you become more a part of it because the just the sort of the way our visuals work the way a big piece can sort of escape you from your peripheral vision like it, it could take away outside vision and you sort of become a part of it as a viewer there's a reason why there's a reason why people don't watch movies on their iPhone that they go to IMAX <laughs> yeah. there's a reason for it. So coming out of Art Center, I guess you're, you know, you're right at, if you're interested in illustration, which I think the school is sort of heavily illustrative based. Um, you kind of at the birth of the Internet and seeing the the somewhat collapse of, of print media where where illustrators were most utilized. Um, yeah. Was it... You know, looking back now, it's easy to see the sort of how it worked. But at the time, were were you cognizant of those things happening? I mean, as, as you mentioned just earlier about the transition from illustration to painting. Um, yeah. I don't know if that was recent or or back then. Um, that was probably just a lucky break for me that I made that decision when I did because at that time. I, I was basically graduating as an editorial illustrator. Right. And I remember coming to New York and, and bringing my portfolio, which I made to fit inside of a FedEx box. And, you know, it's like I, it was still that previous way of thinking. Uh, I was still doing it, and that's how it was still done. Like, you would go to Time Magazine, and you would write up the elevator and stick the uh, portfolio there, and you would come back down the elevator, and you would go back the next day and go get it. Yeah. It's like, the idea of that now just seems so insane that that ever was the way people did things. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, yeah, so it was, and then afterwards you, like, meet with the art director and they give you some feedback, maybe. <laughs> so that's kind of how it was done, but I was getting feedback from the art director because at the time, I was, when I got out of school, I was just thinking, all right, I just went to school to do illustration and, um, and, uh, and I think a lot of people who decide to just art when they do that they just take their entire two or three years or whatever of art school and just toss it right in the trash can as if it never happened you know mm-hmm. it's like you kind of come out of school with this set of skills and stuff that you learn how to do like how to send people invoices how to do illustration whatever so i was just like at first i was thinking that i was going to do a kind of uh a kind of thing like the clayton brothers were doing at the time where they were showing in galleries and doing illustration Mm-hmm. And so they were kind of like crossing a little bit both both sides. <clears throat> I was I was sort of using that as a model, and I was going to try to do that. But um, at a certain point, I realized that I was never going to be fully successful with the illustration or with the fine art. Like I I, I could feel uh, a resistance in both sides. Like the illustration, it was always too edgy for this publication or whatever. Like people liked it, but it was too this or that for yeah. their publication. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't appealing to a wide range of that. And in, on the fine art side, people were, people who didn't come, it's weird because in California, I always got the 
people generally seem to really like a lot of that stuff and we're really positive about it. But the second you get into New York, um, people have no patience for that. And you immediately <laughs> start hearing that people hate what you're doing. When, when you were living in a place where you, there was a lot of people who used to really like what you were doing and you were used to being complimented on it all the time. So, how did that, how did um, that, and our directors here were similarly like harsh. <laughs> how did that affect how you make harsh. things? Did, did that have a, an effect on the processes that you go through? Yeah, I, and I think I've seen, I think I've seen other artists coming through too who like, some of them will come and, and there seems to be this like two year window where people just either decide like, you know, fuck it, I hate New York, it doesn't work for me, and go back to California or, they realize that they're the ones that are going to need some changing, and it's not New York; it's you. <laughs> you know? That's a pretty. And so you have to you have to address that, and that's not easy. That's really hard. Uh, yeah, I, and it's I, kind I, of a important thing. I feel like that's common. Like there's almost it's almost like California is like a like a, a stepping stone to New York. Like you got to like get ready. Like it's almost like it's training. Yeah. California coddles you. You know, it doesn't make for the best art sometimes. I, I, you know, every bit of my art to me feels like California. Like, I feel like I'm making Californian art, but at New York levels, that's what I hope I'm doing. You know, I, my art feels very different than everybody here. I, I'm really aware of it, and I like it, and I, I try to keep that. I mean, I grew up drawing, like, weird bootleg, rat-pink drawings and hot rods, and like, that's my whole background, and that's, that's my... I try to, I really believe in honesty, and I try to stay kind of true to, to how I formed as an artist. You know, yeah. kind of think of it as like a, you know, like your accent. So, like if you if you grew up in England and then you <laughs> just decided that you like the American accent better, so you just switch over. It just seems really dishonest. Sure, it know? definitely. Is. So I think it's got to be about honesty. Good art is about honesty. You got to yeah. make it as honest as possible. So I think it's about figuring out what your visual accent was as you were learning to speak visually. So how, you know how, I mean? how did, what, 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 uh, what changes took place for you once you moved to New York? Did you learn something about yourself? Like what did, you know, find your voice in the, in the, the move to the East? Was it, um, well, I, what, one of the things that was really good for me is I met, uh, the artist Donald Batchelor when I came here, who was one of my favorite artists when I was living in California uh, when I was in school. Right? So I, I gave him a call just, again, completely idiotic thinking that he was not as famous as he actually was, and I ended up going <laughs> over there and realizing that he was completely out of my league. Like, I thought we would just go hang out, go get beers, right. or, you know, go get whatever and just go hang out together. <laughs> but he, uh, he, uh, it was... It was really insane because it was just very clear. He was, he invited me to go hang out at like Brett Easton Ellis's birthday party. And it was just, for me, the whole, the whole fucking thing was like mind blowing. And I was just very much realizing that, uh, that it's, that there's this other level where I can conceive of, yeah, you know, for an artist. But, so, in the end, I just met him and it was really great and he bought some of my drawings and it was really uh, one of the things that made me decide to move to New York but when I got there I got kind of freaked out and I didn't call him back for a long time but 
uh, I was interning at a, uh, or not interning, I was uh, camping at an insurance company. And then I got up the nerve to call him again. And he was like, where have you been? You, you know, I've been waiting. I need another assistant. So he, he hired me as an assistant, which was really great. Mm-hmm. So that became my, my another, uh, another schooling experience for me. Like, I learned a lot there. And one of the, one of the best things about it was uh, an art, an old, like an art critic that that was like, you know, named Edith Dayak, who, you know, I think she was, she was like one of the founders of Printed Matter, and she was maybe the editor of Art Forum for a while, and, you know, a very, definitely a very important art critic back in the, in the late 70s and 80s that sort of championed a lot of artists like Basquiat and Keith Haring and Clemente and Donald Bachelor and people like that, and so... Yeah. And she's sort of a bit of a recluse, but she would hang around at Donald's studio all the time. So I would talk to her a lot, and she would talk to me about my art, and she was brutal. <laughs> she would talk to me about my art. She would just, there was no, there was no modeling whatsoever from her. And I, and I think, uh, I think it was really good for me to hear all of that. It was really good for me to be aware of that level of just criticizing your own work and, and nitpicking it to make it that much better. Yeah, it made me aware that I could be better. It made me really aware that I was not as good as I thought I was. So and then, I think that was huge. That's probably one of the best things that ever happened to me, too. It takes those people to get us outside of ourselves sometimes. We're so su- stuck inside our own brains that it's, it's hard to look at ourselves from, from different perspectives sometimes. Yeah. It really, really changed a lot for me. And the other thing, too, was that around that time I had, I had met and I had been uh, in a relationship with uh, the artist Misaki Kawai, who uh, is still one of my all-time favorite artists, and she was really, she really challenged me too. I don't think she liked a lot of my artwork back then. I think she thinks <laughs> does now, but she she's another person too who wouldn't really compromise with art that she looked, that she didn't really really love. She wouldn't tell people that she liked it either. But, so that was a, that was a good period of time, and in New York. Man, in New York, it's just—it's pretty mind blowing. You just meet, you know, instead of just like reading about all of your favorite artists and books, they all become your best friends, and you just hang out and you see them everywhere around town, and and it's just that kind of energy is so good. Just mm-hmm. having people around you that have a similar kind of lack of compromise and that are pushing themselves just as hard as you're pushing yourself. Yeah. But of all the places I've traveled, New York, uh, I've never found anything like it anywhere else. It's really amazing. Do you, how much um, of it I, is the the sort of customer base, or you know, I, again, that's one of those super ultra superior definitions um, that I can't think of the proper word, but you know, like the the sort of financial support that artists can find in a city like New York, as opposed to maybe somewhere on the West Coast. Is there what what do you think that it's got to be a level a, a slight level of appreciation difference? Somehow. One of the things that I found that was really important kind of along those lines was uh, that, like, for instance, when I was living in L.A., <clears throat> with the exception of New Image Art, where I was where I was showing a bit when I was out there, mm-hmm. um, galleries in L.A., and I don't know how it is now, but at that time, they were not, like, if you were an artist just wandering through the door, like, you don't get the time of day. Like, it was really impossible to get any art show for me then. Yeah. really struggled to get anyone to look twice at me, but, um, but I felt like, 
I felt that all changed once I moved to New York and I would go back to LA and I would be like, oh, I live in New York. They'd be like, oh, well, I'd like to see you learn. You know, it, was, it just changed. The fact that I lived in New York changed it all. Like, I think there's a weird mentality that, uh, that people in slightly smaller places are looking for art from another town that they can import and sort of stake a claim on in their smaller town. Not that, I mean, it's hard to talk about LA as a smaller town, but sometimes it has that kind of mentality there. And I, re- and I, and I, I really remember it living there. Yeah. So in New York, there's not another town to look to really. It's like people, and in New York, there's so many galleries that these galleries were all looking for artists at the cafe and at the, at this open, like they're looking for them around town. So there's not another place to go look for them. So everyone's eye is out. So the opportunities are kind of ripe here because people are looking here. And people, you know, I was just at uh, a cafe with some friends eating breakfast and like Kim Gordon was there or like, you know, whatever. Like, that's that's what, what it's like. This town is like that full of these really amazing um people that are doing these really amazing things and so you're so used to being surrounded by them that you never really count people out that everybody could potentially be the next whoever <laughs> and so you sort of have to give everybody a little bit of time and you have to check out what they're talking about and if, if someone's like you should see my work you actually check it out because like who knows that's kind of the energy here where you kind of have to prove yourself just to get to the point where anyone will even take you serious enough to listen to you I think in LA, I always got that feel. Yeah, like, it, like, it, like you're quicker to be blown off in terms of like, it, it, like there isn't a sincerity, like that, that there's no way that what you could be presenting is worth someone's while. I could yeah. see that as a California thing. Yeah, it's definitely, and I found it a lot of other places that I've gone, uh, you know, around the world, other cities. You know, I've heard all of these rumors of this this city or that city being the next art capital yeah. and you go and it doesn't it doesn't feel like it even it doesn't even feel like it's a third of the kind of energy of new york i uh, i went there for the first time this uh, this last year um and got to spend i was there for two days doing some business stuff and uh, uh-huh. I, got, I got a day to go run around and check out galleries and uh i did i i I really, really enjoyed it. Like I, I, I felt the, you know, like as going there from California, it seems like you're going to get like the, the typical East Coast stereotypical attitude from people, and I found it to be totally different. I did, I did notice like a, a strange energy. There's something about, I think people being stacked up on top of one another, being forced to interact with one another in a, a different way. I feel like San Francisco kind of has that thing, a different vibe, but something about being stacked up on all your neighbors and being in close proximity creates some sort of like vibration, maybe to like hippie talk. It it. builds a kind of bond as well, but at the same time, people are quicker to snap. I almost think of it as like a family, like a family of like 10 brothers and sisters that are all will instantly snap on each other, but love each other like nothing else. I feel like New York has some kind of feel like that. And when New Yorkers, you know, get pissed at you for, taking too long to decide what you want while you're standing in line. Yeah. I think it's part of that quick snapping. Like there's zero patience for anything, but it's kind of out of love in a weird way. Like it's like, there's not about detesting or anything. It's a weird energy. Do you, do you feel like you searched that out coming from a, an area 
uh, vast openness where people have a lot of space in between one another. You know, like I. Uh, absolutely, I I love my space. <laughs> I feel really uncomfortable here a lot. I would love to be able to leave New York and go back west. I I still feel like that's my home. Yeah. But um, I I'm not good with all the people and all of that stuff. <clears throat> Going to grocery stores drives me crazy. I like to go shopping at three in the morning so that I can, <laughs> you know, like the aisles, the aisles in the grocery stores here are so small that you, you know, you can stick out your elbows and rub, rub the products on both sides. The whole, the whole kind of closed in energy is kind of overwhelming sometimes. It drives me crazy. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine. That's what, uh, you know, a lot of people come to San Diego. Like I had some friends from Montreal were here. And they talked yeah. about how expansive the sky seemed, just because they're yeah. so used to buildings claustrophobicing them, you know, uh-huh. into a corner on all sides and just constant shadows and, you know, the, the the ability to see a big open blue sky seemed seemed out of out of the ordinary for them. I mean, that's probably why I end up painting that so much. I think I long for it a lot. <laughs> But yeah, and by being here. That valley is such an interest, you know, like the El Centro Valley. Like for people that don't know, it's very strange. So it goes San Diego to the mountains. Then there's the El Centro Valley, which is like a really rich, fertile uh, produce creating area. Then there's yeah. sand dunes for a, a good chunk of like a sand dune desert. And then it turns That's into. Right, Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. And then it turns into like that weird oasis once you hit the the uh Colorado River. There's like a there's almost a tropical sense to it, which like is like coming out of the desert into like the oasis of of a large flowing body of water. It's a weird area. Yeah, it definitely is weird. It's like uh I guess it's an oasis. I hadn't really thought of it like that, but yeah, it's it's a desert but there's it's fruit we had a fruit stand. I mean, you know, there was a good period of time that we lived off of just our fruit stand in front of our house. Mm-hmm. And so, like, all of that fruit and the agriculture was really big for me growing up. A lot of the labor, a lot of manual labor. You know what I see in the work that what, what, when I found out that, that you grew up in the area, like, there's the, the, there's the spots in the desert where all of a sudden there'll just be piles of trash and debris and, uh, like, uh-huh. things that have been left to rot, like old cans and car parts and like bricks and like weird electronics and things now seeing some of like the sculptural stuff that you make specifically the the potted cactuses and plants puts me right in that place and sort of also in those areas like where there's little trailer parks along the river or uh, you know in the desert communities there's little trailer parks and little like stores and shops they have like the coolest weird old folk stuff that's been there for forty or fifty years, you know. Yeah. Like, I get a feel of those old sort of country stores from the stuff that oh, you yeah. make now that I well, don't even definitely, realize. I mean, you know, a lot of my family used to work at the Bard store, which was one of those old weird country stores that's I think closed now. And you know, I definitely got all my food from up at Cole's Corner, which is another little store out there where It'd be the kind of place where there would just be like an entire shelf that's empty except for a pair of flip flops. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, you know, it's just like a weird store that you're not exactly sure. They only stay open because of their beer cooler and their like Coca Cola. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, all those old towns. It's it's very interesting to me now. Like because seriously, I've I've seen your work for since probably two thousand two thousand one around there. So a good chunk of ten years, and uh, I, it never dawned on me until this week when we when we decided to set this up that all those things make way more sense now. It's very it's it's really funny. It's, it's weird because in a way I feel like I'm making art for me as a kid. Because I didn't have art to look at. Like, I feel like I'm making the art that I wish I had. So I'm kind of used to the idea that most people don't necessarily really connect with what I'm doing or understand where it's coming from. Yeah. They kind of understand. But it, maybe it's a weird little revenge for me never being able to connect with what everybody else <laughs> Yeah. I don't know what it is, but, but, but I'm making know. something that I wish I had. Or, you know, maybe there's, I don't know, maybe there's a young artist there that's growing up one day we'll come across this stuff because it's weird how slowly it gets out. I mean, I'm, I'm really into like Instagram and things like that now that help this happen faster yeah. and Facebook. I'm really into that. Uh, if I would have had that then, it would have changed everything. But, um, and so hopefully what I'm doing now is getting out to people who live you know, all, all across maybe the U.S. and the world in like weird small places like that that can kind of relate to it. And that maybe there's not artists who make art for them. Yeah, man, that's yeah, awesome. Because most art is made by and for city people. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great spot to wrap this up. I think um, I think that's beautiful. Um, let me uh, can we plug some of your stuff where people can? I posted up your Instagram yeah. on my Facebook today. Um, okay, the, yeah, the Instagram is good. I've been getting into that. I'm having fun with that. That's just uh, that's just my name, Taylor McKinnons. And uh, um, I don't know what else to plug. Let me let me think. You got a, your your website is also taylormckimmons.com, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, you, you, you know, I wanted to talk to you about Italy a little bit. We didn't really get to it, but oh, you, yeah. you sure. just got you have a show that's still up right now in Italy um, that you just got yeah, back that's from. Yeah, right. right? that's right. That's at uh, Studio Raffaele in Trento. And Trento is like uh, kind of halfway between Milan and Venice, and a little bit more north than the southern slope of the Alps. There. Have you spent time there before? Um, this was the longest I'd been there. The last time I was there, it was weird because I had never been there um, in the daytime. Like, I arrived in the evening and had to leave in the morning <laughs> before the sun came up. So this this was the first time I'd been there even while the sun was up. So And I was there for probably 10 days or so, nice. which, was, uh, which was really nice. What was that and experience? People in like? Italy are really receptive to to my work on and, and uh, it feels really good I feel like I feel like I'm doing something that's so quintessentially American uh-huh. and I love I love when people in other countries can really connect with it I feel like in France people seem to really connect with it and also in Scandinavia for whatever reason that's um, strange <laughs> yeah it's weird how you connect to certain certain populations well somehow it makes sense to them it's um, a really cool thing. Uh, and it's, it's weird because you sort of think that it would be... Re- and sometimes it is foreign, you know? Like, uh, sometimes people talk about it and write about it in a way where it's like a kind of novelty. <laughs> yeah. that's how it is, I guess. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I saw you posted up some charcoal drawings that, to me, sort of, it, it seems like it had an Italian feel to it. Oh, yeah, it's, it's crazy looking at a lot of that art over there, too, because I think 
what I'm trying to do is very much about continuing that, that tradition. And I kind of came out of it from a weird way. I think comics uh, and a lot of illustration is like one of the last kind of remaining places where people draw in a very similar way like they used to, where, where you have, where if you're drawing something, you have a complete understanding of what you're drawing rather than, uh, I think there's a lot of shortcuts going on in fine art because there's always the argument, who cares? Like, nobody cares. Like, there's always that argument which is fully valid in fine art because there's a lot of people who don't care, I find. But yeah. I think I'm happy to come from an illustration background because there still is this thing where, like, all right, if you draw comics, you have to draw a lot of this out of your head. So you have to sort of understand the human, you have to understand anatomy. Right. You have to, like, understand uh, wood, hair, understand what's happening so yeah. that you know how to draw it out of your head. Highlights. Without necessarily photo reference and all that. Sure. What were you going to say? No, I was saying the highlights too, like the, the oh, idea yeah. of light you sources. understand what's happening with the light and the reflected light and, mm-hmm. and all of that and drop shadows and core shadows and understand what they are and what they're doing and how does it work and all it like having a complete understanding of that it's something that I find a lot of people in the fine art world don't have or don't care to have. There's a lot of transferring, like finding a good photo reference and transferring it to oil paint, where there's a lot of, okay, yellow here, yellow there, brown here, brown there, uh, left, you know, just it's sort of a transferring process. It's, yeah. it's not about understanding. When I was in Italy, and you look at those old paintings, that was about someone who understood a hand, they understand the bones, the, we used to, take animals and skin them so they can see what was going on in there. And it's like, it was about the understanding. So with my paintings, they, they look like, they have a kind of comic book sort of feel to them, but they're really about having an understanding about what I'm drawing. And in a way, they, they, they have, a, they have a, a comic book feel to them a lot of times when I'm working out of my head because uh, I also kind of have a terrible memory. And so <laughs> I'm, my brain selectively forgets things, so I smooth them over, and it just automatically gives it a comic book kind of feel. It's really natural. I, I'm not trying, I'm not sitting down and being like, I'm going to give this a comic book kind of style. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even thinking about style. That's just, that is the result of drawing from your head without exactly remembering all of the specific information. I think that plus that equals comic book style in a way. Is that is it is the spontaneity part of that important for you? Spontaneity. What do you mean by the spontaneity? Like you know the 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 not pre-planned the idea that you're gonna uh, accomplish the task at hand. Like it's almost like a sort of Zen sort of idea, like being in the exact moment as opposed to the predetermined plan of how a line is supposed to flow a certain way. You know is is yeah. I guess so. I don't think about that as much. I think I'm trying to, you know, if I'm if I'm trying to draw glasses, I'm thinking about glasses. And yeah. I'm just like, oh, well, how does the hinge go? I'm not exactly sure, so I'm going to draw a sort of kind of hinge. Like, I'll make up a brand new hinge that doesn't exist in real life because I need to have a hinge. But I understand that it needs to be a hinge, and so, like, the thing will function, but it maybe does is not exactly like any specific hinge. Does, so, does some of your... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just saying, it gives it that sort of like weird generic comic book look, like the way Jim Davis from Parkfield will draw a, a cup of coffee that is just like the fattest 
like void of any specifics. Yeah. Right? It's like uh, those specifics are the other details that I think you might need photo reference for. And, and uh, if you don't have it, it's like, oh, okay, you know, the basics, it's like around here and it's got a handle over here or whatever. I think that's where the comic book kind of look comes from. What about the what about the line work? Um, I know you you mentioned drawing the dollar bill like that sort of uh, uh, I guess a, I I don't know what type of what what type of printing that process is, but I know you yeah. use I that was something that drew me to the stuff that you make right away uh, the the quality of line and the use of something it, I, I talked to Mike Giant about this ex- extensively about the the ability to create uh three dimension with line work you know so it, uh-huh. as opposed to using color shading that sort of builds a shape and and gives a, a definition to something the uh-huh. the ability to use line to create shape is something that has always stood out to me and i i i always i i'm always curious if people like because i'm such a line fanatic that if you know like i i had like the soul search like the holy grail search to to find the perfect mediums and 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 materials uh, to use to create what it is that I wanted to create was that was yeah. that something that happened for you? Yeah, absolutely. I think I it, I think it's weird for me because I think I'm kind of a sculptor at heart. So I think of things in terms of form. If I'm drawing something, I'm kind of imagining it in three D in my mind. And sort of position, like if I if I'm thinking of drawing somebody, I can imagine it looking one way and be like, oh, I don't like it looking that way. So kind of in my brain, I can just turn it the other way and draw it the other way. And for me, it's about this. It's almost like three D software, but it's in my brain and it <laughs> yeah, just turns stuff around. You know, and so I like like when I do line going around the form, and when I was into the dollar bill thing, I was it was just great because the lines were going around the actual form of of, of George Washington's face. And it was like, it was as if someone just went up to George Washington and started drawing a bunch of lines on his face and then took a <laughs> photograph of it. Yeah. I was just something really great about that because it was not about light. It's just only about form. And I kind of like that because I think outlines speak so much about form in a, in a really subtle way, but drawing lines specifically across the form speaks about it in such a kind of brash you know, unsensitive way, insensitive way, that I kind of like that too. There's something, I don't know. In terms of like figuring out like paints and stuff, yeah, I I realized I just really, I started to really like opaque lines that look like animation or graphic arts. I've always been drawn to that. And I think it comes from looking at pinstriping on cars and all of that. Yeah. Uh, it's funny you use the word brash when you're describing that because it's I when I w- something that stands out for me another thing is the the choice of color for outline sometimes it it uh-huh. feels like one of those things that um, there is almost like an anxiety to it that like the color is not a typical color that you would choose to make an outline like say sometimes uh-huh. when it's the lighter blues or the pinks and the the transitional color changes from from one section of outline to the other. There's a, uh, there's something that really works with that, but there's also like a weird fight, like a like a wanting to fix something. Like, uh, d- does that make sense to you? Like, there's a yeah. there's a bit of a no, conflict. I think it's, I think it's 
I come from my weird love hate of art. <laughs> you know, I have a definite love hate relationship with this stuff. Where part of me goes to you know goes to the museums in Milan and looks at these paintings and and gets blown away by them, and the other part of me just it's like uh, you know I feel like when I'm hanging out with friends, they drag me to these places. Like I don't want to go when I when I'm in. You know, friends are going to the museums all the time, and, and I, I just, I don't enjoy going to museums, and I don't much enjoy looking at art. It's weird. I kind of have this contempt for it and love for it at the same time, and I love that that exists, and I'm not trying to smooth over one or the other. I kind of love that they exist together, and I love spending forever painting a really delicate eye and ear and nose and mouth, and then and then having some other paint go up right on top of it and because it's just like, uh, you know, or, or sometimes I'll, I'll just pat down the painting as I'm going, mainly because I don't want to wait for it to dry and it'll get all, it'll, it'll just kind of fuck everything up and I'll love how it just screwed everything up that I just spent all this time tenderly working on. Yeah, that's a... Uh... And the same thing with the color. Like the color, it's about... Some of it that's really pleasing, and some of it that's just so wrong. And I know that it's wrong, and I want you to feel how wrong it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's funny, man. But, yeah, those opposites are so important. Yeah, I get that from the sculpture stuff that you make, like the when you do the sculptural plants in the in the pots. Like, there's a funny idea that you're making two dimensional objects still, like the, the you're making flat paintings and then putting to, putting them together in a, a three dimensional way. It's kind of yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that humor gets caught by everybody or if if that's intentional. Is that a... yeah? Well, and it's one of the, it's one of those things that came from me, uh, like we were talking about before, how, thinking about what kind of opportunities stopping doing illustration presents. I don't think we ever finished that thought, but yeah. uh, one of them was that you don't need a background anymore. Because I used to not want to do the background, and I used to have to kind of be like, okay, we need a background now. I just wanted to just do the figure or just whatever it was I was drawing. Like, yeah. okay, but I need a background. Yeah. But I got to the point where I would just start cutting them out and just putting them in. It would just be a cutout. There was no background at all. Yeah. So then I was like, okay, now that it's a cutout, what if I add additional planes to it? What if what if it could stand on its own? What if it's, instead of hanging just directly on the wall, what if it's like bending and it's also on the floor? And you draw it so that it looks like it's supposed to be on the floor or whatever. I was playing a with a lot of that stuff a long time ago. And they evolved into these plants where the, where the planes are splitting. And, and, and it's, as the plane splits, the drawing reflects the split of the plane. I think a lot of people have done a lot of three-dimensional drawing sculpture stuff before, but they often get so dazzled by the novelty of it that they forget to make it a good drawing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the the dimensions become more important than the... Yeah, there the are people, they, they just stop at the very first sign of novelty. You know, the first time, the first little moment where someone's like, woo, cool, you know, they're like, oh, I'm done. But <laughs> I think I was, for me, it was about pushing it way past that and see how far I can push it and how, how subtle I could make it. You know, and just take that as a given, but that's not really what it's about. It's about this other thing. Yeah and push it to another level. And I think that's, I think it gets another kind of power from that. I hope it does. I think it does. All right, 
right, my friend. Yeah. I want to um, I want to thank you again for taking the time to shoot the shit with me. I, I do appreciate uh, your uh, your time and efforts. I think um, I think we got some good stuff. You feel good? You get everything right. out. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, and, uh, and I wanted to uh, just say that I like your show and I like all those. You know, and I, I listened to that show with Kevin and I was like fully fully blushing. Uh, Kevin yeah. is a really amazing artist and uh, one of my good friends that I still keep in touch with from uh, LA. I think I think I've fallen out I've fallen out of touch with a lot of people just just because I'm terrible at communicating. But but that was a weird tangent. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I wanted to tell you. Uh, Thanks for uh, thanks for the interview and uh, and I really like your show. It's a good thing I listen to you in the panel. Yeah, brother, I appreciate that a lot. I'm well, a thanks a lot, and uh, hopefully we'll meet in person someday soon. Yeah, I hope to I hope to get back out onto the East Coast before too long and, and spend a, a significant amount of time instead of a, a quick whirlwind trip. All right. Well, make sure you let me know when you do. Okay, I will. Thank you again, my friend. Have a good day. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye.